0: Welcome to the Culture Happens podcast, where we discuss the future of work and company culture. My name is Luke Shepherd, my pronouns are he and him, and I'm a recruiter in HubSpot's ANZ region. Now, being promoted to your first management position is incredibly exciting, but the transition can be also riddled with challenges. Everything from establishing yourself as an inclusive leader to setting a visionary strategy, and also managing a team efficiently. Studies have shown that 47% of managers don't receive any training when they take a new leadership role. Today, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about the good, the bad, and the human of becoming a first-time manager. Now, when thinking about this topic, I couldn't think of anyone better to join me than Nick Hajaporu, our Senior Sales Manager across HubSpot ANZ. Hajj, I want to start first off by asking how you're feeling today, and then would love for you to tell us a bit about your background and your role at HubSpot.
1: Awesome. Well, first of all, thanks for asking, Luke. Um, it's a Friday over here in Sydney, so feeling excited, looking forward to the weekend. I think the team is happy. They're doing well, pacing well for the month. So really, one more kind of sales manager ask for, you know? Um, in terms of my background, the first thing that usually comes up is my name. Like, where is my name from? So I'm half Greek Cypriot half English, working for a US software company, but in Australia. So a bit of a funny mix, um, but I've been with HubSpot since 2014, so almost seven years now. I was part of that initial seven here in Asia Pacific when we started off. Started off as an account executive and really just worked my way up, started off different projects, like setting up our corporate arm, and then I eventually became a manager of our small business team here. Before HubSpot, I was doing a job in B2B event sales. so. It was really my first sales role, really, Um, and it was a bit of a baptism of fire, so quickly learning that process. Um, And before that, very different background, I was actually studying at St George's Hospital Medical School in London. So, super different background, but I like to think there's this theme of helping people throughout get better, which kind of comes full circle to think about HubSpot and our mission of helping millions of businesses to grow better. So that's me, but Luke, I'm keen to ask you, how are you feeling? People who don't know, it's your last day today before you go on paternity leave.
0: Yeah, I, um, I'm super excited to become a first-time dad, that's for sure. And um, maybe that's a whole nother topic for another podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'm curious, Hajj, so you're one of our founding seven uh, in HubSpot ANZ. Now, as a recruiter, I interview folks day in and day out, as you can imagine, And one of the things they always say is they want to join HubSpot for the culture. Part of being a manager is obviously driving and enabling that culture as well. But you could propose that that wasn't domestic here as a founding seven. So before we get into your transition into management, I'm curious, what was a driving factor for you joining our business?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because back then uh, when I was Moving roles, I was looking at a lot of other sort of software companies and other different um, industries. In a way, I think the thing that really stood out to HubSpot was what everyone says, which is the culture. We had sort of heart back then as well as we've always had, and it really resonated well with me. But I think a lot of it also was just the product itself. Like I think seeing how it can actually change businesses for the better and makes things like uh, Google a more powerful tool, and actually can make businesses change the way they're operating and I can actually believe in it and understand it as someone who wasn't necessarily in the tech scene kind of just really helped me go, wow, I can really get behind this versus maybe uh, different situations where I couldn't really understand what I'd be doing or selling or necessarily believe in it as much. I think that really helped. But I think as well, when I just sort of spoke to people, I just kind of knew they walked the walk. They weren't just talking the talk when it came to all these different things they work on when it's their culture and their habits there.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, another curious question, I look at your journey, and you spent several years as an individual contributor in a sales role. And there was a tipping point where you transitioned into a managerial role. And that's where you've spent the last couple of years. Uh, We'll probably get into this a little bit later around can managers be formed or are they born with it. For you personally, Uh, Is managerial aspiration something you've always had on your radar, Nick, or was it something that just developed organically?
1: I think it's something I always knew I wanted to do. Like, literally, I remember in my new hire training in Boston seven years ago, um, Andrew Quinn was looking after it, and he mentioned something about some manager sort of uh courses you can do and I walked up to him straight away I was like oh I'd be really interested and he's like wait a minute you're two weeks in and your new hire training is an AE like maybe we should hold off on this a little bit so I think from day one it's something I've always been interested in mainly because of the fact that again it comes from that stem of like wanting to help more people and I felt like I could have more impact there uh, as a manager but I I think it really took a good few years for it to truly click and go wow, this is something I really like, I'm passionate about wanting to move into. I think it was JD Sherman, our old CEO, who who said that it was like one day something just clicks inside you. And I do remember literally waking up and going like, wow, this is, this is where I want to head because I, after setting up that corporate arm of the business, I did kind of had that decision. Do I become a enterprise rep forever? And I keep going up that sort of route or do I become into a real people leader? And it just really sort of resonated with me one day that I was like, hey, I want to help more people and help other people achieve their career goals and all that sort of stuff.
0: Awesome. All right, let's talk about that for a moment, because I propose that there are two massive transitions that some would say are the two most difficult transitions into employment and in the workforce. The first would be. For a lot of folks, that first role out of college or university where they take everything they've learned and put it into practice. But the theme of today and that second difficult transition I I see uh, day in and day out in in the last decade or so in recruitment is that transition from individual contributor to manager. Some do it phenomenally well. Some do it not so well. And there's a bunch in between. Hajj, I'd love to hear uh, a few moments around that transition. What was your experience becoming a first time manager?
1: Yeah, I think the initial reaction was just shock, really. The way I like to describe it to people is it's like, I've gone to my favorite like theater production and I've watched it a hundred times and I've seen exactly what happens on the stage a million, like a a lot of times. I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what's going to happen. And then one day someone goes, Hey, we want to invite you backstage. And suddenly I see this whole other world, people running around, people making sure everything's organized, costume changes, and so on. That's almost what it was like becoming a manager because suddenly you realize all these other things your manager does other than your sort of pipeline review and coaching and one-on-ones, there's so much more to the role. And I think for most people as well, no matter how well you prepare for it, whether it's your organization doing training or going externally to do other different courses, it will always feel like quite a sudden plunge into it. I don't think you're ever truly 100% prepared for everything that happens. And then you realise quite quickly, before you kind of had a lot of control within your destiny, whether it's you hitting your quotas or your KPIs or anything like that, you typically had a fair bit of time on your hands to do that. I felt that time became really, really precious. And then you end up losing a bit of control of, your deliverables because you're kind of achieving them through someone else. So I think those are the things that really sort of stood out to me as different changes when I became that manager role.
0: I'm hearing a lot of parallels and it is my experience bias of about to become a parent, but a lot of parallels between parenting and management uh, that first time transition. So <laughs> I'll take some notes on those. Uh, thank you for sharing. There's a saying here, and I'm sure the folks listening can resonate, and it is something that resonates globally, that employees don't leave companies, they leave managers. And some stats to back that up, uh, around 30% of employees believe their manager lacks team building skills. And research conducted by CEB shows that nearly 60% of all new managers fail within the first 24 months of their new position. Uh, there's some tension for those folks making that transition. And there's also tension for reps working under managers and and really being set up for success. So I'd love to hear how HubSpot set you up for success, Nick, in this transition, because the theme that we're hearing is that done well, it can be a phenomenal benefit for businesses, that journey of internal progression. But done not so well, it, it can definitely have the opposite effect.
1: Yeah, totally. I think the reason why HubSpot did it really well for me is that it wasn't a overnight thing and it should never be when it comes to your career development or any kind of career progression. I think um, my manager at the time, the previous year or two building up to that, we were having conversations at least sort of once a month around skills I could develop to help me be a manager which wouldn't necessarily help me with my day-to-day role, but I think they understood that that's where I wanted to go. And so I was learning these skills on the build-up to it. And I think that's what's most important when it comes to setting yourself up for success there, is that you basically want to make sure you're as prepared as you can be. So you're kind of going into the role with a glass half full a little bit. And I feel that's what happened with myself. So just made sure I had a lot of sort of awareness around maybe different sort of models when it comes to leadership and coaching, different sort of tactics when it comes to training or coaching someone through different scenarios um, so it meant that when i did eventually join the role i felt like i was fairly prepared for a handful of different situations but i think the key thing to realize was my expectations being set in a way of you're not going to be able to be a master of everything like it's actually quite good in a way to be vulnerable and show that to your team hey i'm not going to be able to like solve every single situation because i am new And that helps with that sort of whole idea of imposter syndrome as well. Because if you feel like you maybe are a bit of an imposter, it's almost good to like fall on the sword a bit and say, yeah, I feel a little bit like that. And so I'm going to need your help to get us across the line here.
0: Brilliant. And and that imposter syndrome is is definitely something that I hear a lot of folks when they make that transition from IC role, individual contributor, to management, Um, Before we talk about how HubSpot practically set you up for success, and we'll talk about the manager foundations training that we do here. Mentally, I'd love to sort of delve into your thought space, uh, Nick, around that imposter syndrome. It's something, again, that we can all feel from time to time, especially those making that transition. Practically, talk me through how you walked through that journey. And is it something that you deal with now continually or is it something that you might reach a threshold and sort of think, you know what, I am now a manager. I believe in myself.
1: Yeah, I think when I initially started the role, I think like anyone, you always think, oh, do I feel like they've made the right choice? You maybe have some doubts and all that sort of stuff. And you can potentially sort of doubt whether the team's going to really get behind you and so on. But I think I sort of tried to put that to the side and just have faith that Obviously, the process that we go through to hire new managers and so on is very, very thorough. And they hopefully would have chosen myself because of the criteria that I meet and the faith that they have in myself to become a manager. So I think everyone gets imposter syndrome with different things. There's a really good uh, TED talk on that by Mike Cannonbrooks from Atlassian, that I really, really liked. And I'm pretty sure I watched that when I became a manager. So if you haven't checked that out, I'd have a look at that. Um, but I think the key is again, going back to being a bit vulnerable, like you're not expected to come into any new role and just be an absolute master straight off the bat. And I think sometimes people who have imposter syndrome is because they feel like they have to day one, be the same as their new peers on the team. who have been doing it for years and they maybe don't feel they're at the same level, which is why they have those feelings. So I think just cutting yourself a bit slack and acknowledging that you are on the first step of a next part of your journey. And you're early on in that journey, so you need to give it a bit of time to sort of make your way through it a bit.
0: Awesome. Thank you for giving us a bit of an insight into your headspace, Nick. Um, Let's talk about the HubSpot Manager Foundation's training. Uh, It's our certificate course for our newest people managers at HubSpot. And for people managers like yourself who are promoted internally or, say, folks joining elsewhere... Uh, from an external vendor, this course covers all of the key skills and information needed to be successful. Uh, I love that by title, it is named Foundations, because I think that, like you touched on, uh, Hajj, it's an ever-evolving process and a journey as opposed to an arrival. But this course, I believe, sets a phenomenal foundation for success. It begins with authentic leadership and navigates through a myriad of topics, including psychological safety and inclusion, Coaching, effective meetings, accountability, and delivering feedback. Now, that might sound like a lot to cover, but it's broken out into three parts based on the following methodologies. Leading yourself, leading others, and leading action. Let's spend a few minutes there. Talk me through what sort of takeaways you got from that around leading yourself, leading others, and leading action.
1: Yeah, I think it was really helpful for it to be divided up into those three specific areas because it makes you realize you need to really spend equal amounts of time on yourself as well as how you're going to manage others and again part of it comes back to making sure you set expectations with yourself of what you're going to be achieving and what re- is realistic for you um, but also making sure that you maybe change a little bit around your style when it comes to how you're managing other people um, so when it comes to setting up a psychologically safe environment, super key that you make sure you're so listening to others more than just sort of barking orders as a manager and really getting to know people and understand some of their goals and motivations for sure. Um, but then at the same time, you want to make sure you're sort of reflecting on yourself and going, hey, where am I in this journey? Where do I want to be in X amount of weeks and months time? And how can I make sure I'm sort of keeping up with my sort of initial development as a manager so I don't fall behind and I cover each of these pieces. Um, so I thought it was really good to have that structure of the course and I think just like I said it's foundations training because it's something to then build upon. I think when you have these three keys of areas to focus once you feel like you have sort of mastered those is then when you add in these sort of accessory areas that can help you become uh, stronger and more refined as a manager.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I I think it's no chance as well that the course broken into three parts is around leading yourself, leading others, and then action. Because I propose that the best managers are phenomenal leaders of folks in their team, but also themselves first and foremost. Uh, This topic of personal development is very pertinent. And I don't know about you, Hodge, but I'm very much into podcasts, audiobooks, TED Talks, I know you alluded to one moments ago. What resources would you recommend that might be available across all of those platforms? So books, podcasts, resources, everything in between for first-time managers.
1: Uh, my favorite book of all time is Five Decisions of the Team. It's by Patrick Lencioni. Um, and it basically talks about a structure of how to make sure you're not falling into any of the traps when it comes to establishing a new team and working with them effectively. And it creates a, basically a pyramid, which the very foundation of that is getting trust from your team. And then it builds up from there to make sure there's no fear of conflict, make sure there's no lack of commitment. And then there's no inattention to accountability and attention to results as well. So I always thought back to that book um, when I was going through my initial stages and whenever I found any issues with managing a team, I always realized it was something to do with that pyramid so i I typically recommend this to anyone who is becoming a new manager first off the bat the second thing that i think is really useful is just being aware of the situational leadership model Um, so this is a model that breaks your coaching style up into four different quadrants whether it's directing coaching supporting or delegating and this has been really useful for me because typically most teams will have different areas of seniority. So they have different sort of competence levels with their various skills. And this is just a framework of how to manage someone through that coaching practice on a skill which they are confident with, or they're maybe not. And it made me realize that, although you can have a very senior person, they can still actually be quite unskilled in an area where they need to be more directed on what to do, versus someone who's quite new, but they're very talented in a specific area. You can be more sort of supporting or delegating in your coaching style. So. It'd be a model that I recommend everyone has a bit of a look through
0: and has a study of. Brilliant. I I, um, myself have delved into Patrick Lencioni's uh, resources and there's uh, a myriad of other folks like John Maxwell, uh, Seth Godin, uh, Stephen Covey even, How to Win Friends and Influence People. All things that Mm. I know we've spoken about books uh, offline, Hajj that I I definitely recommend as well. Um, Let's talk about if you're comfortable with sharing. Uh, a mistake you've made as a manager. And the reason I'm really curious, and I think that folks listening would get a lot of benefit out of this question and hearing your thoughts is that I propose that people relate more to people's journeys through weakness and resiliency than they do their strengths. Everyone's made a mistake at some point in their life. Uh, And I'd love to hear if you are comfortable with sharing a couple of mistakes you've made on this journey of management. I think we can all agree that it's a manager journey as opposed to an arrival as a manager.
1: Totally. and I think that's the right mindset to have. And potentially a mistake I made early on is that not recognize it as a journey. I thought like, hey, straight away, first day as manager, I need to jump in and be the super manager in a way who solves everything. So that'd probably be the first thing is I think a lot of the times when I was having different situations with rep, whether it's like a customer issue or any personal issues with themselves, I tried to just jump in and solve everything all the time. And it might seem like that's the right thing to do, but a lot of the time it's not. Sometimes people just want to kind of almost vent and be heard, for example, but sometimes you actually need a bit of time for either things to settle or for you to actually go talk to other people to come back with the best solution. And I think that's something I didn't necessarily do first time as a manager, I sort of thought, hey, everything falls to me now, manager, Nick, like I need to go get all this stuff done. Um, but I learned that actually leaning on the best resources that our company has, which is its people, is the wisest and the best decision you could do with any discussion. So it's made it a lot easier because a lot of the time, especially as a new manager, if something challenging comes up, it's usually something that another manager's gone through or your HR business partner can give you help with or your director can give you help with. So um, I think that would be the first thing I think of when it comes to like mistakes I made is just trying to jump in and solve everything. And then to a similar vein, I think what can be really easy trap to fall into is to become what we call like a super manager or a super rep in a way, sorry, Uh, which is where you basically almost like micromanage all of your team and you're just like doing their role for them. So you end up being like, your team turns into a group of, of BDRs in a way, and then you become, the one sort of big rep who jumps on all their calls, they're doing all the stuff for them and it doesn't really help them develop. Um, I think initially when I did that I thought I had to jump on like everyone's calls and like make sure I was on everything but I realized that you don't actually give your team the opportunity to develop and grow if you're always there almost like um, from the parenting side of things there's a bit of like a segue like you can be a helicopter parent and sort of come in swoop and save the day and come out um, and I think you could do the same as, as a manager, there's a bit of a risk of never letting them sort of fall over, graze their knee and sort of realise, okay, I need to be more careful when I'm running in a way. So I think that's something I learned really quickly in the first sort of couple of weeks, because firstly it wasn't very scalable, my, my, my calendar was already busy, but suddenly it was back to back from like 8.30 to 6.30, just about 30 minute meetings. Um, but then I just also realised that my reps weren't really necessarily learning things if I was just doing it for them they didn't learn as well. So I, I thought, Hey, you know what? Even if they kind of mess up this next call or mess up this situation, they'll learn from it and then I'll get stronger so that then I don't need to jump on that in the future. And with the marvels of things like zoom recordings and gong recordings and so on, it means I can kind of be there in spirit and still be able to give them great feedback without necessarily having to jump on.
0: Yeah, brilliant. When you're sharing that, Hajj, I I immediately thought of the saying, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And I propose that the best managers I've worked with uh, across my career are those that are very empowering in nature. They're okay with mistakes. They equip folks to have that autonomy, to be able to grow through the tension of it all, through the wins and losses. And as a result, their reps are better off as a result of it. Now, there's a bunch of people listening to this conversation, Nick. Uh, There are some that are already existing managers. There are some that are individual contributors that might be looking to transition into management. And there's a bunch of folks in between, but I wanna talk to those folks now. And I'd love to spend a couple of minutes hearing your thoughts on this. Around those folks that are looking to make that transition, that they are Nick Hagioporo circa 2019, they've realized that they would like to make that transition, that their passion is people, what sort of skills should people thinking about going into people management should they level up on before they get there?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think it's always going to be different for everyone, because usually people who want to go into management have the same thoughts in mind of why. But then what's really key i feel is almost to do like a bit of a skill review of yourself like a good reflection and go hey if this is what all managers need to be able to do where do i feel like i've got the least amount of experience or maybe the most room to develop and so if, to give you an example myself mine was a little bit around like time management i realized that sort of working as a rep i had a lot of control of my time i had a lot of sort of buffer space where if a meeting went over, I can sort of go into that or into my lunch, all that sort of stuff. So I imagine that doesn't really work because you're going into someone else's time and you're going into other meetings and other um, areas there. So I think the first thing to do is just be able to get really, really tight with your existing processes and your time management. And in a way, a great way to do that or prep for that is to start taking on like additional projects and additional bits of work. Because not only should, will that show you're sort of ready to go above and beyond your current role, also provides you the challenge of having to organize your day to take on something new as well as the existing stuff. So I think that's one skill I think about. Uh, The other thing is that usually when you go into a management role there's a lot more data in your hands and there's a lot of more sort of critical analysis you need to do. Um, So I feel actually taking the time to maybe understand some of your organization's numbers and things that you would actually be responsible for if you were going into a manager role is key because then you can start diagnosing what's wrong and actually taking a look at a picture of whether it's your funnel or your team sales processes and going hey if I was a manager these are the areas I see a bit of a bottleneck or an area to focus on and I don't necessarily think you get to do that much apart from with your own process as an individual contributor so again peeling back the curtain a bit of that stage and seeing what we can do is always going to be key otherwise I think it's kind of depends again on who you are because some people will be really natural at those things and some people will be really natural. Things like just relationship building or um, empathy. I think, again, two really, really key things because you have to get to know your team at a deeper level. Like you may be friends with some of them individual contributors, but if you then suddenly become their leader, you actually end up knowing them in a very different way because you truly understand some of their inner motivations and goals. You ideally want to know them from both a professional point of view, but also a personal point of view. Like what are some of their personal goals? Because they can then link into or motivates them with the professional side of things too. So I think if you aren't necessarily that great sort of building those relationships and like getting to understand people and uh, leading with empathy, it's a great thing to try and flex before you jump into one of those roles. Otherwise it might be a bit of a shock to the system.
0: Brilliant, thank you so much for sharing Nick. Now we're recording this uh, in March, 2021, but if you rewind 12 months ago, uh, we experienced globally a global pandemic, and we still are in the midst of it. Uh, We've spoken a lot in this conversation thus far about the importance of not just as a manager leading your number or owning your number, but leading people. And a lot of that interaction, a lot of that engagement comes from face-to-face connection. Now, COVID-19, a global pandemic has meant that this new normal we're in is no longer fully face-to-face. Managers are now leading teams that might have a component of face-to-face, a hybrid culture, or even a team that might be fully remote and they're relying on forums like Zoom uh, to have these conversations and manage their teams well. I'd love to spend a few minutes talking through how your experience as a manager has changed in this new world that we're in where you're managing a truly hybrid team.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a little different, but I'm maybe a bit controversial here because i always felt that it doesn't really matter where someone's based your role as a manager should always be to sort of coach and develop them and make them the best that they can and in terms of the times we had in the calendar i almost felt that it didn't change other than it was suddenly on zoom versus um face to face in the office what i will say though is that needed changing and adjusting was the ability to make sure you're still available and there because one of the things that always used to happen is i'd be at my desk doing Admin or emails, and then suddenly I get a little tap on the shoulder like, Oh, Hatch, can you actually help me with this? Or can you jump in with that? And it's because I was obviously very present, like everyone was, because you could see them and you could see they weren't busy, for example. With now, you don't get that opportunity. You can't see if someone's doing something or not as easily. So I think some of the things I had to do when uh, we sort of went into sort of remote work in this hybrid world, It's just to make sure everyone knows and sets the expectation that I am there whenever, like, and they can easily slap me just as much as they could tap me on the shoulder in the office. And I'm always going to be as present and available as I can. I'd almost like to give some public sort of breaks in my calendar where people can make sure they reach out if they need anything, but I made sure to go the extra mile to say, Hey, like never, ever hesitate. You're never going to interrupt my day. You're never going to annoy me. If you send me a Slack or send me an email or a message, I'm always going to be there. So I think I had to go a bit more above and beyond to, to state that with the team so they knew that I was always going to be there. Um, I think as well, when I think about new hires specifically, like I wanted to make sure they felt extra supported. So usually we'd assign them like a buddy to pair up with and we'd have chats um, every few days. I basically just increased the amount of chats we would be having, but then I also assigned two buddies instead of one. One to be more to help with their sort of coaching and development in, in areas and sort of ramping them up. But one, just to be almost like a support buddy, um, just as a, a contact, just to chat with, maybe to vent with, or just uh, ask quick, easy questions on, as opposed to like jumping on calls if needed. And I think that just means that people felt like they had a, just another person to go to, almost like they had their two people sitting next to them at their desk. Suddenly they had those two sort of virtual contacts there. And then finally, I think just being more thoughtful and inclusive. Like we used to be able to do like team events where we could all meet up and it would all be in the same location and so on. Well, now in this world, we have people who, um, live in, for example, in Australia, all over Australia. So doing an in-person event isn't actually as inclusive as you'd want it to be. And it means that people miss out on that cultural experience. So I think just keeping that in mind and making sure you go, Hey, what are some things that we can all do, um, all on zoom and make sure we all have a great time that the team will all be interested in. Um, it just again, helps to make sure they feel supported, both from the professional development side, but also the, so, uh, the social and cultural side too.
0: Nick, thank you so much for the time to chat today. It's been an absolute pleasure connecting with you. One final question before we wrap up. One piece of advice to leave the listeners with today. What would you like to share for those that are first-time managers or considering making that leap?
1: I think just to take the time to acknowledge that, you know, you got this. Like you are going to be great. It's just going to take a bit of time. And just to focus really on getting to know your team. I think everyone sort of gets really worried about making sure you hit your numbers and so on straight off the bat but in reality the results of your team in your first month are usually set up from the uh, the inputs from maybe two three months ago so i would really focus on leading with empathy and focusing your first few months on setting up a strong culture of trust and psychological safety versus results Um, i'll take the time to understand your team's specific goals and motivations and just be sure to set shared values and expectations as a team early. So you all go forward with this one vision and mission and most importantly, just be yourself. Again, people who have imposter syndrome is because they feel like they're not being themselves and you are likely hired as a manager or thought of as a manager and a leader in the future because of who you are and not who you're pretending to be. So, uh, whether yourself is a bit like me, a bit goofy or whatever, that's fine. That's exactly what you want to be. And just, it makes each day much more fun and easier to get through.
0: Thank you, Nick. And thank you to all of the listeners for tuning into this episode of Culture Happens, HubSpot's podcast, all about the future of work and company culture.